Hi, I'm Rod Quinn, host of The Overnight Programme. Well, we probably do it three or more times a day. But how much do you really know about where the food on your plate has come from? Well, the producer of The Overnight's program, Manu Bobo, is on a mission to find out. With the help of food historian and associate professor at Southern Cross University, Adele Wessel. This week, they're looking at the history of chocolate. Good morning, Adele. Good morning. Now, where does the story of chocolate actually begin? Chocolate has a really long history, but obviously not in the form that we enjoy it now. Most of it's made into chocolate bars. The cacao tree, rather than cocoa, cocoa is the word that comes to us through the English, but the cacao tree originally comes from South America, and that was carried into Central America, and it was eventually cultivated in Mexico and introduced to the Mayans who traded it to the Aztecs. Mayan dignitaries were buried with jars and bowls of food for use in the afterlife, so that's where we get some of its history from by archaeologists. It was classified later by Linnaeus as a food of the gods. The sweet pulp of the cacao fruit, which surrounds the beans, was fermented into an alcoholic kind of beverage at that time, and it was mostly used as a drink. The Aztecs used to roast it, and they grind the seeds and made them into a drink that they served in religious ceremonies. But It was really only preserved for warriors and the elite, so it wasn't something that ordinary people actually used. The seeds are actually so valuable that they were used as currency and it was also used as a tribute to Aztec rulers. The Maya and the Aztecs both kind of frothed their chocolate. They poured it from vessel to vessel, I think at a bit of a height to get bubbles and stuff in it. And they also kind of invented some of the ways of flavouring it as well. They mixed it with maize to make panole, which you can still actually get in Mexico. And they used petals of flowers and so on. And they believed that the cacao bean had magical or divine kind of properties so it was used in rituals like birth and marriage and death and obviously it comes to Europe through the Spanish um, conquest so it wasn't until Cortes invaded the Yucatan that they realized that it was so valuable the bean and legend has it that the Aztec king Montezuma welcomed the Spanish explorer Cortes with a banquet and that included drinking chocolate And the story is that he was mistaken for a reincarnated deity instead of a conquering invader. But I'm not really so convinced by that story because it comes to us through a lot of kind of European tales about colonialism and so on. But chocolate didn't actually suit the foreigners' taste buds at first and one described it in his writings as a bitter drink for pigs. So this was like before it was mixed with cane sugar and it didn't really become popular until that happened. So cane sugar was introduced to America in the colonial period and that was added to the drink as a flavour and that's how most people enjoy chocolate now with sugar because naturally it's quite kind of bitter and astringent and you'd know that just from different kinds of levels of cocoa or cacao in different chocolates. So the beans were brought to Spain from about the late 16th century and it was an expensive kind of exotic spice and that's how it was introduced to the rest of Europe and it was popularised for its medicinal qualities and its nutritional qualities and even as an aphrodisiac which is probably how we end up getting chocolate in Valentine's Day and kind of celebrations of romance and that kind of thing. But it was pretty much just the privilege of a very few people until mass production became popular and that 
was really with industrialisation after the 1700s. Once people went beyond chocolate as a drink, how did it become confectionery? That sort of happens through a kind of industrial process as well. So in the 1800s, there was a Dutch chemist who found a way that you could make kind of powdered chocolate. And so that was done by removing about half of the natural fat or the cacao butter from the chocolate liquor. And what was left that was then sort of pulverised and treated with alkaline salts. So that kind of cut through the bitter taste. And that's the reason why we have kind of Dutch cocoa. So that's where that comes from. And that soon led to the creation of solid chocolate. So it's interesting that some of the names that we associate with the history of chocolate are still really familiar as well. So it was Joseph Fry who is credited with creating the first chocolate bar and he discovered that you could make it moldable you could make a kind of paste by adding the melted cacao butter back into the Dutch cocoa and it was Cadbury's you know from about the 1860s that started adding milk and we get milk chocolate from Nestle as well so the word chocolate kind of expanded to include lots and lots of different treats and more and more sugar and other additives were kind of brought into it as well so it's only really recently that the quality and the percentage of chocolate has assumed such a importance so the confectionery is probably the way that most people in Europe were introduced into chocolate and even though hot chocolate is still actually a really popular drink it's only recently that the kind of more bitter chocolates and chocolate with less sugar and less milk has become more popular again. Now how is chocolate made? Cacao trees kind of produce buds really continuously and that can be all year round in subtropical areas like Central America or in places like Africa, it's tied to the rain cycle. And there are changes in the growth kind of depending on the climate. But harvesting is still done by hand. And that's because they don't want the immature kind of pods to be damaged or the flower buds and so on. So it's really labor intensive. And that kind of gives you a bit of a a bit of an insight into the conditions and the payments that they received as well when you think about what the price of chocolate is now. So the pods, um, after they're taken from the tree, they're broken open to release the beans and they're scooped out with the pulp and then they're fermented. But the alcohol content is kind of leaked out during that process and that just leaves the beans. So alcohol tends to be added now rather than through that sort of process. And the flavour kind of changes and it becomes less bitter during the fermentation as well. And then the beans are dried and shipped or stored. So that's usually how they arrive to chocolate manufacturers and each of them have all sorts of secret recipes and so they determine what kind of beans they're going to use and they do lots of extensive sampling and testing so that they convert the chocolate liquor according to aroma and taste and so on and the beans themselves are cleaned and roasted and ground or crushed to liquefy the cocoa butter and produce the chocolate liquid And then that's refined to distribute the butter more evenly. And then there's a rolling process and that kind of creates the heat that melts and distributes the butter more evenly. So different percentages of cocoa butter are removed or added to the chocolate liquor. And that carries the flavour of the chocolate. And it also produces that effect on your tongue that you notice when you're eating dark chocolate. Mm. So depending on the chocolate flavour that you desire, different ingredients are added in that process. So sugar, lecithin is quite common, milk as well, or cream butter or milk crumb is added. And then in the final process, there's a kind of conching process that develops the flavour further and it releases some of the bitterness and it gives that smooth kind of melt in your mouth quality and the chocolate liquor in that process is kind of kneaded over a really long period it could be hours or it could be days 
And it depends, I guess, on what the manufacturer wants and what kind of technology they have as well. And then in that, the last step is really where it's tempered and moulded and then made into, you know, chocolate bars or used as coating or used as an ingredient and so on. Okay, so we've only just started this chat and already I'm craving chocolate. (laughs) I'm really into white chocolate as opposed to dark chocolate or milk chocolate. How bad is white chocolate for you? Well, it's not actually that it's bad for you, but it's kind of chocolateless. So some of the sort of qualities that are in chocolate, things like caffeine and some of the minerals like magnesium and so on, aren't actually in white chocolate because it doesn't have the cocoa particles or the sort of chocolate flavour that you get in dark chocolates. Mostly because what happens, it was only invented like in the 1930s or something and it's made from non-fat cocoa solids and that's the sort of primary nutritional constituent of chocolate liquor. So that's chocolate in its kind of raw, unsweetened form. So people buy it really for the taste and it definitely has different kind of properties like you can't substitute white chocolate for dark chocolate in a recipe or anything like that it's quite a different kind of product it sure is and we're told that dark chocolate is better for you but how good or how bad is chocolate for you overall? I mean, a little bit of anything is kind of good for you, really. So, I mean, I think every so often we're pleased when we hear something in the media about how red wine is good for us or chocolate is good for us. And that's because both of them have antioxidants. And that's a kind of benefit that comes really from the cacao rather than from the sugar or the milk solids or the other things that kind of might be added to chocolate. It does have some protein and it has some minerals as well like calcium and magnesium. And some people say, for instance, that the cravings that you have for chocolate might be a craving for magnesium or a need for some other kind of trace mineral that's available in dark chocolate. And it's dark chocolate really that kind of retains the highest level of flavonoids. So there's a preference from the aspect of nutrition, for example, for bittersweet dark chocolate that contains, you know, plenty of flavour and more cacao, but less refined sugar. So that's why people say that dark chocolate is better for you. But really, it's anything in moderation, I guess. Whereabouts are cocoa beans grown? So the tree is actually native to the Americas, but it's grown now in Africa and um, parts of Asia. It needs humid tropical climates and there has to be a kind of regular rainfall and some dry periods as well. So the main producers now are West Africa, Ghana, which grows some of the best quality cocoa in the world, and Nigeria and the Ivory Coast in West Africa. In South America, there's still a good chocolate production, particularly around Brazil and Ecuador. And in Asia, Malaysia and Indonesia, where it's kind of a relatively new crop, but it's becoming increasingly important. Most of the cacao that we get, though, does come from West Africa. About 70% of the world's cacao comes from Ghana and the Ivory Coast. And it was first planted there in 1879. And it's mostly grown on family farms. So mechanisation is pretty impractical and the farming's generally small and it's fairly labour intensive. I noticed while I was in Ghana, there wasn't a lot of chocolate for sale at the markets. Is there a reason for that? And I also wonder whether the general population profits from the cocoa produced there. The farmers don't actually get a lot of money for it. And mostly what they're exporting in places like Ghana are the beans. And they're shipped to Europe and to other places for manufacturing. 
So the chocolate itself isn't necessarily made in Ghana. It's the beans that are being grown there. So just recently there have been more exposure on issues like the use of child labour and in some cases slavery on cacao farms in Western Africa. And although the industry's responded with some steps to try and change this and so you've got things like fair trade certification and so on to provide some sort of transparency, the farmers themselves aren't actually getting a lot of money from the farms and it's kind of subsistence farming that provides most of the supply in the world. So it's kind of hard to get pleasure from that really. We spoke a little bit about milk chocolate, dark chocolate, white chocolate, but there are so many different types of chocolate. What are they? So there are different kinds of chocolates produced for eating or different chocolates produced for cooking or in use um, in confectionery as well. Mass-produced chocolate, which is you know what probably most people are familiar with, is made from ordinary beans and that's processed with a minimum amount of cocoa solids and cocoa butter and it's got a lot more sugar and a lot more milk in it. And then what's kind of termed fine chocolate or you know more expensive chocolates are made by beans that are selected and they're selected according to their flavour and they've got more uh, cocoa solids and cocoa butter and it's a lot more complex the flavor dark chocolate contains cocoa solids cocoa butter and sugar but generally doesn't have the milk solids in it and there's a range even there so that goes from like sugarless bitter chocolate to bittersweet chocolates and increasingly you know you can see the percentages of cacao or cocoa content that's shown as well so it's quite common now to see whether it's a 70 percent or 90 percent cocoa bean there's also curvature chocolate which is dark or milk chocolate and that's kind of made so that it flows more easily and you can melt melt it then and use it for different kinds of recipes and you can make it quite thin then so you can use it for things like coating and then there's white chocolate which is kind of chocolateless <laughs> <laughs> what are the different methods for working with chocolate i've done this lots of times i've burnt chocolate so it's important to kind of melt chocolate at a really low temperature it doesn't really conduct heat very well so that's why you kind of advise generally to chop it into small pieces or you blend it with a hot ingredient and that kind of melts it more evenly. Tempering is melting the chocolate as well to keep the kind of appearance and the consistency of chocolate. So that's heated and then it's cooled and then it's carefully reheated again because the crystals kind of melt at different sorts of temperatures and that sort of helps to stabilize it. But um, I think as I was saying before, it's really important when you're looking at recipes that if it says to use cocoa powder that you do that rather than actual dark chocolate or if it suggests bittersweet chocolate that you don't necessarily substitute it with milk chocolate because they all have quite different sorts of properties as well as flavors and tastes. How is chocolate being used in savory dishes? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting because in the history of chocolate, you know, it's only a really short period that we've actually been using it with sugar, even though most people would kind of think of it that way. So some of the dishes that people are using it in probably hark back to its history. So the mixture of chili and chocolate, for example, kind of reflects that history that it has in places like Mexico as well. So famous dishes like mole, use chocolate in a sauce and you have that generally with white meats and chili with chocolate is becoming more popular even in combinations like hot chocolate where it is mixed with sugar but the other kind of different thing that's happening now is that the kind of roasted or cracked beans from the shell are also being sold separately and they're used in recipes 
and they have lots of flavour and the smell in cooking is really quite intense and that's loaded with natural antioxidants. But interestingly, there's also white chocolate savoury dishes, so I thought you'd like this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they use other kind of combinations, so you might put cinnamon and things like that in it. Um, I found a recipe for white chocolate baba ganoush, for example. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> you know it's, hard to, it's really hard to imagine because mostly, you know, we get white chocolate with a lot of sugar as well. But I don't know if it would be that bad a combination, you know, if you mixed white chocolate with eggplant and garlic and cinnamon <laughs> wow my mouth is literally watering <laughs> do people really get cravings for chocolate well they say they do and like i'm really prone to suggestion which is a really bad thing for a food historian so when i do research on something i often actually want to eat that thing as well and sometimes it's like nothing else can satisfy it so if you want chocolate, it doesn't always help just to have something else that's sweet. It's chocolate. So there's been a bit of research around this because there are kind of um, trace elements or properties of chocolate. So there's chemicals that kind of can have a drug-like effect, but it's in really, really small quantities. So most of the research suggests that it's not really the craving for those things. It's the kind of sensory experience of eating chocolate that's so appealing. So that sort of creates the feeling of a craving. And then there's the issue about the other things that it contains, like magnesium, um, and whether you know that could be linked to a magnesium deficiency. Or for women as well, that's been linked to hormonal changes. So there's lots of talk about you know why women want chocolate at different times. But I think actually it's just as much a cultural urge. So like I often feel like chocolate when I'm feeling a bit down and I don't think it necessarily medicinally affects me, but maybe actually being able to go out and get it makes me feel empowered and <laughs> wanted as well. So it's not such a bad thing. On the flip side of that, is chocolate actually addictive? No, not really, because it doesn't really have those drug chemicals. But, you know, there's a lot of suggestion, I guess, that you can become addicted to sugar. So you could have that in the form of chocolate or the caffeine that might be contained in chocolate as well, although you'd have to be consuming kind of large quantities of it too. Ethical issues have seen some changes in the chocolate market. What are the main concerns here? In addition to the use of child labour, which I sort of mentioned before, there has also been a lot of concern about the rising demand for chocolate and issues around sustainability. So it's mostly family farmers that still grow about 90% of the world's cacao trees. But because they paid such low prices, there's an issue around productivity as well and poverty in farming communities. And they don't really have the resources to be able to invest in their farms um, in terms of uh, machinery or anything like that, or even, even replacing kind of ageing trees and so on. So while the chocolate market is expanding, it's also true that lots of people are kind of abandoning the industry where they might have other alternatives. So just like any other food production, really, you know, empowering farmers, fair prices, fair trade, all of those sorts of issues are important. And I think consumers are also becoming more and more aware of those issues. But Definitely a kind of a change is also needed in that in terms of transparency as well. So when you buy chocolate, you might know where it's manufactured and so on, but you don't necessarily know about the conditions. Well, we found out a lot about chocolate there. Adele, thank you so much. Thank you. That was food historian and associate professor at Southern Cross University, Adele Wessel, exploring the history of food with Overnight's producer, Manu Bobo. I'm Rod Quinn.
Thanks for listening. <laughs>